This is the Her House Podcast, a candid conversation about real estate, finance, and other confusing millennial topics. Hosted by Chrissy Heller and Haley Lenz. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome to Her House. Welcome back. Um, today, we have a very special guest. I'm going to the intro. This is Brianna Sutherland. She is the woman who does it all. She's a wife, mom of two beautiful girls, and a loan operations manager for a very successful team based in the greater Phoenix area. She's here to discuss all things we want to talk about. And of course, that hot topic that everyone's talking about. Yes, we're super excited. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's kind of very busy Monday so far, right? It's going. The week is going. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was your morning? Well, um, I woke up before the baby, got to the gym, and then dropped her off and did a little bit of work. And now here we are. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm still in my workout clothes. I haven't showered. It's mom life. Or exactly. Exactly. My my goal is to try to get ready every day and actually put an outfit on. That's like my new goal. And then post it on TikTok just to make myself accountable. But today that's not happening. So workout clothes are acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Okay, cool. Um, I think like we obviously so you the way we met is through one of our good friends, Madison, and then you also work with Jake, who we know. And you've been working with her for a long time, right? Yeah, about seven years now, I think. Oh my gosh, how did you meet him? Oh, well, really, I've known Jake, Jake's family since I was in elementary school. We, oh, really? we all act, our families went to the same church growing up, so I've known them forever. Um, but in 2016, I met with his business partner at the time and his business partner is actually the one who hired me and then jake stole me a couple years later oh <laughs> and they were being like working together i feel like that's usually like a, like don't do that yeah i still worked for both of them um but mostly for jake i was i'm still jake's right hand but i, I was kind of like dabbling with both of them helping both of them um but now i'm just working for jake's team and jake's brand what is like your everyday kind of look like? Um, my everyday at work or my everyday at home or both? I would say all of it. All of it, yeah. Um, so I have two daughters. One is almost eight and one is four. And so we wake up in the morning. My daughters go to school not close to our house. So it's like a 25-minute drive. So I get the girls ready mostly. And then my husband actually takes them to school. That's nice. Yes. And then he goes to work from there. And then I will get ready and either go to the office or work, go to my office in my house. And then most days I look at loans from start to finish. So it's not all day, every day, but it's like I do the pre-qualifications for our team. When we get into con or whenever we get into contract, I take the contract. I do all of the back end stuff. So I contact the borrowers. I get the documentation. Um, I process the file, so no one actually touches your file with our team except for me. And Jake is also involved, but not with like the paperwork stuff. So once we're, you're in contract, it's basically me. And then we go to underwriting, we go to closing, and it's done. But yeah, I do all the all the back end work. 
How did you get into that initially? Was it just that meeting between Jake and his business partner or were you already in the business? So I actually got hired as a loan officer assistant when I was in college. Um, I have a degree in social work. <laughs> nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with business. Um, I was a junior in college and I got a call from my girlfriend who was like, we really need a loan officer assistant. And I actually used to be a transaction coordinator um, for a real estate agency. Uh, in college? In college, yeah. Well, I started at like 16. So in high school, was my first job was at a real estate company. Um, shout out Keller Williams Realty. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was my first job ever. And so then I became a TC there. And I did that for, I think, three years, like through college. And then my aunt actually became one of my bosses. And we decided that it wasn't a great fit to work for your aunt because... It was like she holds you to a higher standard, not like I was getting favoritism. I was getting the opposite of favoritism. Interesting. Yeah. So we just decided it was probably not the best idea to work for family. So my girlfriend knew I was looking for a job and she's like, I know you don't know the loan side, but you know the real estate side. So that kind of helps just interview for the job. And so I did. Um, and they were like, we'll call you, you know, if. And then they ran after me in the parking lot and they're like, okay, we need someone tomorrow. Like, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, sure. Um, I didn't start tomorrow. I gave a two week notice, but that's how I started. I was 19. So I've been doing it now for 12 years. Wow. Yeah. So almost 12 years. Yeah. I'd like the youngest. I think I've like heard someone really getting in, especially when you include college. Yeah. It was, yeah. I worked full time in college and then went to school full time. So I was, I literally like just dove headfirst in a processor um, at the mortgage company I started out and just taught me everything she knew. And that's how I started. I And then um, Jake's business partner recruited me and that's how I met, that's how I got involved with Jake and I've now for almost one year. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny, like I didn't even know what lending or a mortgage officer processor any of those jobs even were probably until realistically I'd say like three or four years ago um, I purchased my first home six years ago but like at that point in time my parents were just kind of like okay you got to call this person and give them all of your financial documents and then it's like okay but had no idea and then we started some of our friends started getting into the industry and that's how I learned more about it but it, I mean it can be a very lucrative job but it's almost to me like a job like if you're not in real estate you have no idea about even exists you don't even know where to start like I have friends that are like I don't I don't know what to do and I'm like it's okay we can get me I've been doing this for so long it's like it feels like second nature like the back of my hand and so but yeah there's definitely like I feel like a stigma like no one wants to say they don't understand or like they don't know the process but a lot of people don't because it's just not talked about enough mm -hmm. well and i feel like when i come across those people because it happens in real estate too like i like love those people because no one makes you feel smart i'm like whoa i am so smart to you like i know all these things that you don't know and it's just like it's like the opposite of them even knowing it's like really fun to talk to those people and explain things that you're like an expert on right Definitely. yeah yeah or even like when I purchased my first house, I had no idea that there was different options that you could do something other than just like 20% down 30 year term. I learned on my second property. I'm like, oh, I only have to put 5% down. Like, this is great. Okay. Um, 
So we have a lot of friends. Well, we have a lot of friends that own homes. We also have a lot of friends and I think listeners that do not yet own a home. So like what would you say would be important for somebody if they, let's say, want to purchase a house in the next six months? Maybe not super realistic with the market the way that it is. But if somebody does want to purchase a home, you know, in the near term, what do they need to do to get ready for that before they come talk to you or even after they come talk to you? The first thing you should do is talk to a lender. And when I say talk to a lender, talk to a lender that does this full time, all the time, that's been in this market, that knows what's happening on a daily basis. Because I think a lot of people, and I'm sure the real estate, and I know that real estate industry is the same, is there's a lot of agents that are like, they dabble in this, like on the side or part time, or they're a family member. And right now in this market, an expert is someone that you really need to have so you in your back pocket. You see that on in lending? We do. We see it less. We, in the last couple of years, we've seen it less. A lot of loan officers that held their license are not renewing their license. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not out there. And especially in this market, it's just so important to talk to somebody that's actually looking at rates every day, that's looking at the market every day in your area that knows what's happening in your area because rates are high there's no way there's no nice way to put it and you have to get creative with your contracts with your with sometimes the loan side of things we have to you know finagle everything to make it work because payments are high you need more money than you feel like you should have or have i guess you need more money than you did two years ago mm -hmm. and home prices are still increasing mostly in most markets so i would say talk to a professional lender it doesn't my team or it doesn't have to be my team but make sure it's not like your uncle that you know he closes two loans a year and has no idea what's happening or you know your neighbor who has had his license for you know ever but he doesn't practice anymore because you think you're going to get a good deal it's not everyone has the same rates every banker every broker we're all dealing with the same money the money comes from the same place so that would be my first step is talk to a lender. And if you don't have a real estate agent, we can get you in contact with a real estate agent too. Um, but get your, get, know what you, know what you qualify for. And once you know that, but the more you know, right? So once you know what you qualify for, what your payment is roughly going to be, then you'll have a better, you'll feel better. Like in six months I want, I know that I can, you know, afford this or, I know that I qualify for this amount of money. And I think from there is where you can take the next steps. Mm -hmm. And how do you know what you qualify for? I think that's one of the weirdest parts of buying process that I've been through because it's almost kind of like I'm asked, well, what do you want to buy? But I'm like, I I want you to tell me what I'm allowed to buy. Right. Um, everyone's different. So every it's going to be based off what your income is, what your liabilities are and then what your credit score is. So your credit score affects your interest rate. So that's why everyone's like, well, what's the rate? And you're like, well, it depends. It depends how much money you're gonna put down. It depends, do you have an 800 FICO or do you have a 550 FICO? There is a huge difference in rate. And it also depends what loan program we're gonna put you in. Are you gonna have mortgage insurance? Are you not gonna have mortgage insurance? Um, but how how you know what you qualify for is, is solely a ratio based off your income and your liabilities. So, once we know what your income is and once we know what your debt is and then we add in the mortgage payment and then we know, you know, this is your your threshold. 50% of what your liabilities are is going to be 
and based off your income, that's going to be what you qualify for. Okay. So, and 50% is the upper limit, right? Yes. 50% is mostly the And that's of gross income. Gross. Right. Always gross. Not. Yeah. So that's, that's it. <laughs> People are like, oh, but I don't make that much because after taxes, we're like, yeah, but we, we don't look after taxes. And it's really what's on your credit report. It's not like your cell phone bill or your SRP bill or anything like that. It's what's going to report on credit. So your installment debts and your revolving credit. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. What would you recommend? And I know there's different loan programs that you can do. Like I was mentioning, you could either do 20% down or you could do, you know, 5% down or three and a half for FHA. But like, what would you recommend like a brand new buyer try to do to begin with? And like, how much additional buffer do they need to account for like closing costs and all the like the loan fees and things like that, that they might not be thinking about when they're going to buy a home? I think right now it's really... It's easier to ask for things if, like, Christy can probably tell, say yes. But, like, if you ask for seller credit right now, most of the contracts we're seeing have seller concessions. So you can use that to buy down your rate. You can use that to do a 2 one buy down. So I would say if you're, like, a new first-time home buyer, anywhere between 3 and 5% is a good down payment. Like, it's not 5% is on the better end of 3% just what your mortgage insurance is going to go up if you only put 3% down. But if you have 5% down, that's a great starting point. And then if you can get seller credit in there or seller concessions, then you can talk about buying down your rate or doing a 2 one buy down like a lot of people are doing right now. Because most of the experts say in the next two years, rates should go down at least a little bit. So then you can refinance. Um, most lenders right now, we do if you're going to buy a house right now, and you're going to refinance in the next, I think it's 12 or 24 months, we'll give you a credit towards like all of our fees. So the lending fees will be waived on your refinance just to kind of help, you know, then give you an incentive like we are, you can refinance after six months or so that's what we're doing mm-hmm. or that's what we're seeing a lot of. But closing costs on average, I would say 3% of the purchase price is roughly what your closing costs are going to be. Sometimes not exact if you're buying down the rate. A lot, you're going to see more closing costs. If you're doing a two one buy down, that costs a lot because it's the interest is up front. Um, but I would say on average, three, three percent, three and a half percent. Okay. So if you're buying, let's say, like a million dollar home, three percent of that is $30,000 for closing costs in addition to what you're putting down. Right. Yes, roughly. Okay. Or I wouldn't say it's 30000 but I don't, it really, everything is, I would say, relative. It depends. It really honestly depends. Right. But sure. We're just looking at like, yeah, no, rough numbers. Right, right, right. Because that's always something I forget about is, oh, I need the down payment, but then I need the buffer to cover the closing costs as well. You always need, well, unless you get the seller to help the seller to cover all of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, if you can ask for 3% seller concessions, then you're right there. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Tell us about like what, because you had mentioned two different things. You mentioned um, a rate buy-down or a 2-1 buy-down. What are those things? So a 2-1 buy-down is going to buy down the rate 2% the first year, 1% the second year, and then years 3 through 30 will have the same rate. So if, let's say, the rate is 8% right now. So year 1, you're going to have a 6% rate. Year 2, you're going to have a 7% rate. And years 3 through 30, you're going to have an 8% rate. And really what that is, is it's paying the interest for the first two years up front. And it goes into like what your escrow account is. It goes into like a separate account. And so what we're seeing right now is seller concessions buying, paying for the 2-1 buy down. Mm-hmm. So it's their interest for the first two years, really. Okay. And then 
it's helping borrowers because then your mortgage payment is a little bit less those first two years and you feel a little bit more comfortable with your payment at 6% than or 7% than you do at 8%. Mm-hmm. And then the hope is that before year three, year three, you can refinance into a better rate. And that's really what we're hoping for since rates have really never been as high in like 30, I think it's like 27 years or something like that at this point. That's what we're seeing a lot of. You can also buy down the rate, um, a rate buy down strictly. You can put money towards to buy down the rate. It just doesn't equate to the same number. So if you're going to put, you know, seven thousand down or seven thousand dollars towards a two one buy down, it's not the same. You're not going to get two percent, a two percent decrease for seven thousand dollars to buy down the rate for the total thirty years. Mm-hmm. So it just costs a little bit more money when you're just doing a strict buy down. Okay. Put on a discount. It's yeah, not like, like what we're seeing right now is like what I'm kind of hearing is like if you can't like the two one I don't agree, but like if you can swing the payment for a little bit, like a year or two, like maybe that credit is like you're better off getting a lower purchase price or just purely putting it to like regular closing costs because hopefully they'll go down next year. And then if they do go down, a lot of times that could be like wasted money if you buy down your rate it's like well that was out the window because maybe your buy down you could just refi for even lower so that's true but on the two one buy down the money doesn't just go away so it's it will go if you have money left over in that escrow account like let's say on the second year you decide to refinance because rates are just better that money that's sitting in that escrow account is going to go towards your payoff so at least it counts for something it's not just like gone money so if you buy down the rates strictly just a buy like a discount points to buy down the rate then yes you're right that money would would basically be gone. Um, so that's why we're kind of seeing the two ones and the three ones and the one ones even the buy downs because it's not waste. It, I hate to say wasted money, but it is money that's sitting somewhere that you that will go towards your payoff. If you if you like that's huge. So it's basically a principal Okay, so I want to make sure I understand this because. I am not in real estate or lending or any of this stuff. So like to me, it's all new. I feel like I pretend like I know a lot. But for somebody that is listening to this that doesn't know is the best way to equate this kind of like if you're renting an apartment and you put a deposit down, you get that deposit back if you like, you know, didn't mess up the place. So is that kind of like the two one buy down then? It's almost like a deposit, but you get to keep the money if you refinance. If, kind of. If the money's they're not you're not going to get the money back in your pocket. But when you do a refinance, you're paying off the first and getting a new first. Right. So that money will go towards the payoff right. of your loan. So it's not you're not going to get the money back in your pocket for you to spend, but it is going to reduce what you owe on the note. So yes, it's not it's not just it's sitting there being spent monthly, just like your tax is and your insurance. But if it's there's money left over in it, it's still your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To to go towards to go towards yep to go towards the payoff of the note. Oh, cool. Well, that's actually like a really great. Yeah, people, a lot of people don't realize that it actually, it can be used. It's not just going to sit there. And, and if you decide after a year, it, it's still your money. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Like I had my my previous house that I owned, I, I purchased it and then I refied after six months, but then we sold it three months later, or, or I guess we owned it for a total of like 13 months. So maybe we sold it like six months later, but Anyway, it was just like, oh, shoot, we lost, like, all the money of the closing costs. And it was just kind of like, oh, that was a waste. I I understand that feeling, yes. And then so Jake was talking to me the other day about, like, how two things he said that were interesting. One was that if money for down payments seems to be really up, 
are you like is that right and do you think that's like because when i'm out there i'm seeing so many parents looking for their kids because i think they're like getting frustrated they want grandparents they're like okay if you're not going to buy a house i'm going to help you do it so that you continue your life and so jake mentioned that and i thought that was really interesting because i'm like oh yeah to help with the rates parents and grandparents and all that he said they were up like maybe 30 percent that sounds right we're seeing a lot of gift funds um across the board for closing costs for down payment for both um i think it makes people feel a little bit better like okay my parents are gonna help me with the down payment and the closing costs so i have I'm not spending all the money in my bank account. So when I have this mortgage that's more expensive than my rent is right now, I still feel okay. I still I still feel like I have a little bit of a cushion in case, you know, an emergency happens or whatever. So we're seeing a lot of gift funds and a lot of parents helping kids or grandparents helping kids or otherwise, like, I feel like there is a chance the millennial generation is going to stop or not be the younger millennials and the Gen Zers aren't going to be able to buy houses because income is not increasing. Median income is not increasing as rapidly as home prices are and as rapidly as interest rates have been in the past couple of years. So you're going to be priced out of the market eventually. Right. And so you want to explain a little bit like this money and what it is and where you can put it towards? Sure. You can put if it's, well, you have to make sure check with your lender depends on the kind of loan type you're doing so if you because a donor just can't be anyone if i'm gonna buy a house and i wanted to go to chrissy and be like can i borrow twenty thousand dollars from you you can't you can do that on some types of loans but most loans there's a requirement for the donor so there usually has to be a family member and family members are defined based on the loan type so a cousin is not a family member on government loans which people are like what do you mean my cousin can't give me the money so make sure you check with your lender really the donor stuff really depends on what kind of loan you're doing so every loan type kind of looks at it a little bit differently um you can get help with closing costs from your real estate agent if they're willing to give you some of your their commissions like if they're family um you can get gifts from your parents from your fiance um, even if they're not on the loan, that kind of that kind of thing. So, um, talk to your lender. Don't take money from someone without talking to your lender. We we have had problems with people who are like, oh well, you know, my friend owed me five thousand dollars from whatever, and they gave it back to me, and it can assets can be super convoluted. <laughs> so, ask your lender before you do anything. But ask your lender because that is totally gift funds are always always an option unless you're buying an investment property. And if you're buying an investment property and then get funds, you have to have your own payment and your own funds for closing. And this is just funds in your own bank account, correct? Yes. For the um, right amount of time. Correct. I would say at least 60 days is what we say. There is some times where it just needs to be in your account for 30 days seasoned and we can make that work. Um, but to be safe, the funds need to be in your account for 60 days. And we, so that means no transferring back and forth. If we're going to see the bank statements in the last 60 days, we don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. There is ways. That's what I say. If you want to get pre-approved and you have lenders need to get creative, that's why we want to talk to the lender up front because we can tell you the workarounds. If you need, you know, if your friend owes you $5,000 and it's not seasoned or you have cash or anything like that, talk to your lender before you start looking for homes so that we can tell you put the cash in your bank account or something like that. 
Right. Yeah. Don't keep it under the mattress. Yes. We still see we we still see a lot of that, honestly. Cash is like king. I don't know why. But I don't know if it's because of the environment that we're in right now. Right. But yeah. So cash is not allowed. And it's not because they don't believe that you have the cash or that you can't put it in your bank account, but it's all about money laundering, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so the government looks at that and they're like, well, where did your money come from? And he's to stay. Mm-hmm. That is really So we take all kinds of classes on money laundering and what it looks like. And if you see it and all those things. Oh, yeah. wow. Yes. Have you ever come across? Not that I really would. I have noticed. But, right. oh, I mean, I have. I mean, we've had cash before, like, at home, like, you know, in our safe or whatever. And you want to use it for something. You're like, oh, well, that we couldn't use it for a mortgage if we wanted to. <laughs> That's so yeah, I feel like everyone's got like a little bit of cash, like whatever. Yeah, and it's nice to just like, in my mind, girl, have free money. Yeah, it's like, oh, great, got my nails done yesterday for free. You know, I just grabbed it from the cash pile and I didn't pay a thing. Uh, but and then the other thing I heard is happening is with everyone's like, who would refi right now? But there are people refiing, and it seems like because spending hasn't really gone down. People have a really high credit card debt, so you're seeing those people refi. Sometimes, yes. I wouldn't say a lot. We're not seeing a lot of refinances. Um, we're definitely not seeing like rate and term refinances. Nobody has a nobody's nobody's refinancing to get a better rate right now. Um, unless you're like in a balloon payment or something crazy. Or um, so cash out refinances. Sure, we're seeing it a little bit. If you have a lot of credit card debt, because let's just say because the world is the way it is and everything is more expensive than it was. Um. You can, we can look at your situation and just see what your credit cards are a month, what that looks like. And if you pay off, you know, you cash out and you pay off all your debts and your, yeah, your mortgage is going to go up, the interest rate's going to go up, but are you saving money a month? Right. And is the interest rate on your mortgage better than what it is when you're paying on these credit cards? Oh, it's, it always is. Right. So you're not paying 25% in interest, you're paying 8%, let's just say. And so sometimes it doesn't make sense for people there. We are seeing it in certain situations where it doesn't make sense or people are getting divorced and they have to pay, you know, they have to give that the equity to their spouse or they, in their divorce decree, it says you have to refinance your spouse off of this mortgage by this date. So we are saying in those situations, yes, it's happening. Um, it's just not as crazy as it was. Interesting. You, you said something earlier too that I wanted to go back to that you felt like younger millennials are going to get priced out. Like, what's your take on that? It's so hard. I would, I feel like because of social media, everybody thinks like their first house should be their forever home and be this beautiful place where every, you know, the kitchen's redone and you have this beautiful backyard and it's not a fixer upper. And reality is is those homes are so much more expensive and those homes are going so much faster than a house that just needs a little bit of work but because our generation is so infatuated with social media and they're like well you know this kitchen needs to be redone and you know I don't want people to I want to have a perfect home and I don't want to have a fixer-upper but the reality of the situation is your first home really shouldn't be your forever home it should be a starter home to start gaining equity and start building wealth and then you can go on to buy. Hopefully, you can keep your first home and rent it out as a rental. And then you just have to live in it for 12 months as a primary home. And then you can move out of it. And there's certain situations where it doesn't have to be 12 months. But if you live in it for 12 months and you decide, I want to buy another home and I don't need the equity out of this home. Or sometimes even if you do, you can get a home equity line. There's a lot of creative 
creative ways we can help you. But hopefully your your first home, I wish my husband and I would have kept our first home because it would be a wonderful rental right now. We didn't. But it's always a situation where our first home wasn't our forever home and it was fixer upper and we had to renovate it. And I think right now it's like it's like almost like taboo that if you buy a house that you're gonna live in that isn't perfect. And that's just not the reality of what it should be. So buy a house that's not perfect, renovate it, you know, a little things here or there. You're building equity. The, you're, it's a, basically like a savings account you can't touch. And hopefully you get to get the equity out one day and buy a, your perfect, your perfect forever home. Mm-hmm. But if I think just this generation, median income just isn't increasing enough, especially in Arizona. It's just not. So with the high interest rates and with the high home prices, you have to start somewhere and it's always better than renting. Right. Yeah. I, I totally, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually on the podcast, but like Barbara Corcoran said something once, or it was in her book that I read and it was just like, well, I couldn't afford a two bedroom apartment in New York city and I wanted the two bedroom. So instead like what all I could afford was a studio, but guess what? After two years, I had enough equity. I could, she sold the studio, moved into a one bedroom because she still couldn't afford a two bedroom. But then after a few years, she had enough equity moved into the two bedroom but it's it's the same thing and I think you're right like I didn't think about social media but that does play such a big impact on people's lives and see people with the perfect houses and the beautiful kitchens too and I'm like like (laughs) like I I live in a great house but it's just like oh my gosh it could be better but I think that's so true and a lot of people don't think that there are still good deals and things out there it's like okay, if you can't afford the house with the backyard today, get the small, you know, two-bedroom townhouse or start with a, you know, an apartment. There's like a one-bedroom apartment in Arizona is still affordable. I mean, those are going pretty quick. I think that's what's selling the fastest in the market. But like, that's something that you can afford and then build the equity because it's it's the savings account. Yes, it's a built-in savings account people don't realize. And you can't spend it until you sell it Mm -hmm. all the time. So I think it's definitely, I feel like, I want to give our generation the benefit of the doubt. Like social media doesn't influence us, but it does so much. And so I think if I literally just sold a house or sold a house, I just did the loan for one of my cousins and his girlfriend who bought a house. And she was just like so worried about like what the kitchen and the floors. And I'm like, you can change that. And like relatively, I know it's like everything's expensive right now, but you can paint the cabinets and you can put a backsplash in and it can change the whole vibe of your kitchen. Mm -hmm. And you can pay you know, premium dollar because it needed work. And those are the houses I think that are sitting longer right now and you can get a better deal. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I always tell buyers too, I'm like, everyone wants the perfect house. But if you buy a house that has room for me, that sweat equity is really excellent. Uh, it's kind of like a cushion in this market. I feel like where people are like, you know, people think all different things are going to go up. Are they going to go down? If you buy a house that would increase in value with new floors or whatever it's kind of like a little safety net where it's like okay if the market drops well i can do this and then it will probably still go up because i'm able to make improvements right so i think if you have like any hesitation about buying right now that's kind of what your angle should be is get something that is totally livable but can't prove uh it gives you cushion thousand percent so in the last, you've obviously been doing this for a while. Have you noticed from when you started till now, like a major difference in the amount of like single women buying property on their own, 
dating people lying versus married? Like, have you noticed a skew? I think we're seeing more borrowers buying together. It's harder to qualify for a loan right now. So boyfriends and girlfriends, roommates that are like, we're renting an apartment for $3,000 a month and we can go get a mortgage for $3,200 a month. And, you know, if yeah, live in it for a couple of years, split the equity. You know, you're when you're renting, you're paying someone's mortgage most of the time. Yeah. Somebody else's mortgage. And they're and you're paying roughly the same. So I'm seeing a, we're seeing a lot of more creative um buyers, like buying with your friends or buying with your your girlfriend, your boyfriend, um, parents co-signing for their kids, grandparents co-signing for their kids, just because it's harder to qualify for a loan. So a lot of people aren't just buying a house by themselves. You know what's funny is like lenders, like there's not like if you go and buy, like let's just say I was dating a guy for like two months. I can go buy a house with him. And a lender's like, sure. Not like I'm like, that is so much riskier than like, you know, maybe like some other things that they're like, where did that $200 enter your bank account? But then you could be dating back for two months. And they're just like, yep, that works. It does work. It's kind of crazy. It is. I mean, reason you don't pay attention to that. No, if you're both going to live in it, you can both buy it together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's we. It's but it's easier to qualify. Right? Qualify right now for it, and so we're definitely seeing more people like take the, take the risk because, and it's not. I guess it's not. It's, it's as long as you have the right like terms and you can like sign things. It's not that risky, but it is kind of fun because yeah. I mean. People get divorced every day. Yeah. Um, but if you're both on title and you're both on a mortgage, you're both luck. Like it's still half your house and half whoever you buy it with's house and it's still half your equity and half their equity. Right. So like it really isn't, it is, it can be really annoying if you don't agree or if you have a falling out or whatever, just like if you get divorced. But it is still half your house as long as you're on title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you watch Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's so, like, Tom and Ariana, I think, are still, the girls are still living together. I can't even fathom having to live in a house with Tom Sandoval for three seconds. <laughs> but I also cannot, like, I'm like, why? I get why they haven't sold it though. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand it. But it's just that, that, it, that, it, I think it's great to buy this you're dating, but that's the example of, like, either of them are willing to leave. Yeah, and they probably bought it if I if I think I'm right. If I'm thinking of the timing right, they bought it at the head of the market. It was twenty like twenty twenty. Twenty so many. I'm a big stalker, so I found the house. Like I know exactly where it is. I'm sure other people can find it easily, but like I'm like, oh, this is the house. Here it is. Like here's the price they paid. What did they pay? I want to say they paid like about two million. Yeah, it was like right right about two million. That's about what this was. Right in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that's so funny. That's the worst case scenario if you have to live with Tom Sandoval. But that, I mean, that's that's a case of like you're both neither one of them want to do anything or they can't agree. Um, but I've also seen people like have a contract outside of yeah, like get go, you know, hire a lawyer or someone you trust or write something up, get it notarized. So if something goes awry. You have some sort of backup to like say like this is what we decided on, but definitely works. Well, yeah. I remember when we bought our house, Joey and I were not married, and like he came to the table with a little bit more funds than I did, and I remember being like, "We can sign something, whatever," and he was like, "Sure, yeah," and then like 
you know, I had to it up and he never did. And I was like, wow, like we're just dating. But I was like, you may as well have just married me. You know, like this is way more than a proposal because like you're just like, okay, you heard? I like really, he must have really loved you. I know. I mean, wow. But yeah, I just like, it's funny. I think it is smart if you're dating to think it writing because things happen. Totally. But way easier than divorce. And it's way easier than qualifying by yourself. Yes. In the environment. And you mentioned like a friend or a sibling. Like I think that's so smart too. Yes, definitely. We see it. We're seeing it a lot more than we used to. So I have like one last question, I guess. Like, and this is kind of on the same topic, but who is your typical buyer today? I am so curious. Who is buying these houses for these mortgage payments? Uh, We're still seeing first time home buyers that are like, we don't want to have to compete with when the interest rates do come down, I think that's the biggest thing is people that are like on the fence right now. They're like, oh, these rates suck. They do. We know. And like I said, we can get created. But the second that rates come down a little bit, a half percent, a percent, everyone that's on the fence is going to jump off the fence and go buy a house. And then you're competing with way more people than you're competing with right now. And then you're not going to get seller concession and then you're going to pay more for the house than you would right now and all of these things are going to go away because everyone's going to try to buy and so we're still seeing people that are like you know what i don't want to have to compete and if i don't have to compete right now and i can get a seller concession to pay for my 2-1 buy down and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna bank on the fact that my rates the rates are going to go down and i'm going to refinance but i'm already going to have the house we're still seeing a lot of people that are doing that. We're seeing um, older people that are going to downsize, that are like, I don't want this big house anymore. And sure, my payment's going to be higher, but I want, a, or maybe it's not going to be higher because, you know, they're downsizing, but we're seeing a lot. We're still seeing people buying. Um, not as much, no. Um, we've We're definitely, this has definitely been a slow year for us, but they're still out there. There's still people that are, you know that decided that they called their lender six months ago and said like in six months i want to buy what does it look like and we gave them a roadmap and their real estate agent helped them and they're like you know what this is the right house for us and yes the payment's higher than we want it to be but it's worth it right now mm-hmm. and i should still mention when you do a two one buy down you're still you still have to qualify with the highest rate so people think like oh there's a lot of misinformation like on twitter and in the mortgage world People that don't don't know what they're talking about, they're like, oh, well, two and buy down, so I only have to qualify. Like my rate is only six percent right now. No, you still have to qualify. Like your rate is eight percent because for the majority of the loan, it is eight percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see that on Twitter, like, oh, do a two and buy down because you can you can qualify for more because your rate's less the first years. That's right. It was so qual. We're still qualifying you at the eight percent or whatever the rate is the years three through 30 or the largest, the biggest rate on your amortization sheet. That's what we're qualifying you on. Yeah. I saw, so I I heard someone talk about how like the typical spread from the 10 year treasury is like 1.75%, but right now it's like closer to 3% or more. Do you feel like, or do you think that rates could come down before the Fed actually starts lowering federal interest rates? Technically, when the Fed rate goes up, interest rates are supposed to come down. Like historically, that is what we see. Right now, it's not happening. And we're kind of in uncharted territory because of what's happening with the Fed, what's happening with the jobs report. A lot of people are 
a lot of people were surprised when the job report came out about how many jobs are available, how many people have jobs. But what nobody's talking about is like, yeah, there's jobs, but how many people still want those jobs? And what I thought was super interesting is there's more people right now, more women right now that have two full-time jobs than ever before in history. Wow. Yes. So yeah, there's jobs to be had, but like, are the jobs going to pay your bills? Like it's, there's so many questions and there's so like women have two full-time jobs right now because they need two full-time jobs to pay their bills, like to support their families. So yeah, that's what I thought was super interesting. So we, it's really hard to say like if the Fed raises rates, our interest rate's going to go down. If the Fed raise, doesn't raise the rates, are the interest rate's going to go up? Right now, it's nobody can really guess because it just isn't what is happening. What historically has happened is not happening right now. Interesting. I never even thought about the fact that like the the number of jobs might be good, but like it might be because people have two or three jobs even to or full time full time job and a part time job. Mm-hmm. But because so many people work from home, like I have family members that are working two full time jobs at home because they don't have to really disclose that that to the one job or the other that they're working two jobs and if they can figure out how to do it oh well i know a lot of people that are doing it wow Ah, yeah that's crazy so i feel like everyone's got their prediction Haley thinks prices are coming down i think they're i think come next year like if interest rates drop a little bit it's going to go insane that's what i think what do you think oh i hate if I had a crystal ball, what what we could do? We sort of slow ball. Um, I think that next year, what the people are saying are saying that I trust, that I listen to, that I work with, that have been in this industry forever. I work with people's, I work for people's mortgage, and the ownership has been the same since the company opened. Our executive committee has been the same. They, everyone's been there for twenty plus years. They went through two thousand eight. And this is even, they're saying, worse than 2008. Not from a recession period, but just from a, things are lasting. What's happening is lasting longer, and there's no real, no one's seeing how this is going to end or when it's going to end. It's not, it doesn't feel like it's coming to an end. That being said, I think after the holidays, because right now is always our slowest time of year, regardless of, of it is right now. In the environment, I would say like quarter four is always the slowest, just because Nobody really wants to move during Christmas. Nobody really wants to move during Thanksgiving. You know, it's not, if you can't avoid it, people do. Um, And in like the Midwest, no one wants to move when it's snowing. So in this, where we are currently in Phoenix, Arizona, it's not, it's actually probably the weather's probably better to move. Right. But yeah, this is historically, quarter four is historically the slowest quarter. Um, So we're thinking, for people that I trust, think, if we can get through quarter one of next year we're gonna see rates drop a little bit that's what and i think because it's an election year historically something's gotta give right inflation's too high all of the things like buying groceries is too expensive gas everything is super expensive so i mean something has to give is where really where i see it and so i'm hoping we're hoping april of 2024 looks a little looks better how much better that's debatable right. but it looks better than right now gotcha okay well i think we can this is so nice talking to you Good we are to you. Can, um everyone find you and 
if they have questions or want to get pre-qualified? Sure. Um, the Golombieski team, um, dot com. We, that's our apply now. You can apply now. You can call me. I'm all, you can find me on Instagram at re.sutherland. Um, Do you want to spell that? Sure. It's R-H-I period S-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D. Um, Chrissy has my information. Haley has my information. You can call them. We don't get my information. Um, we try to post like a rate update every Tuesday, just like what the rates are. It's not like. Yeah, I think that's great to follow. For. Yeah, just like so you have an idea of like what's actually happening because. I think the news cycle is like a week behind at least and you know everything's crashing or gonna crash and then people are like sending us videos and I'm like that's about commercial real estate like you pull a segment about commercial real estate and send it to us like it's like it's residential real estate and it's totally different um but yeah we're on Facebook social media most we're not on TikTok but no who knows maybe one day (laughs) get a lot of my real estate information from TikTok these days and yeah yeah, I think it depends. Sometimes you're like, I'm like, is this real? Like, what? And then I'm like, oh my god, that is real. I feel like it depends on what you're looking at. You're like, is this AI? I don't even know. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, this has been super informative to me. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm always in the market, and so to me, I'm like, ooh, this is super exciting to hear about what rates look like. Wait, is it too different? Sometimes people are like, I don't want to hear about. This. I don't want to hear how rates, how high rates are. <laughs> I know, but I think it's. The more you educate yourself, then the less, I think, the less scary it becomes. The more you know. The more you. Exactly. Ignorance isn't always bliss. (laughs) Thank you so much much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Her House. Please be sure to rate and subscribe.